Well, I want to invite you this morning as we continue our series through the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, this morning we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 to 24. I'd encourage you to open your Bibles, or if you have an electronic device, uh, find it in your electronic device, or use the Pew Bible that's in front of you, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're continuing this series verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians. We've entitled the series Course Correction, because if there's any church in the New Testament that needed a course correction, it was the church in Corinth. Someone has said... Imagine any type of church problem you could come up with, and it was present there in Corinth. Uh, that's why I was shocked years ago when I heard that there's a church over in Indiana that calls itself the First Corinthian Church. I have no idea why anyone would ever go to pastor the First Corinthian Church. Uh, but the Apostle Paul is looking to make a course correction with this church as he addresses different issues that are there. So follow me beginning with verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call Already circumcised, let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised, let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a free man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him there remain with God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to us this morning. You'll remember as we were finishing up chapter 6, we said at the end of chapter 6, there's kind of a hinge to the entire book of 1 Corinthians. In the first six chapters, the Apostle Paul is dealing with problems that he was aware existed in the church in Corinth. From chapter 7 on, he's dealing with questions that were sent to him. So as we go through the rest of 1 Corinthians, we need to keep in mind we're only hearing one side of the conversation. Like I illustrated before, if you've ever been in a room when somebody else is talking on the phone, you hear what the person on the phone is saying that's there in the room with you, but you don't hear what the person on the other end of the line is saying. So we are to be cautioned as we approach 
this part of the book that we only have Paul's answers, but we don't have the specific questions. And each of his answers is dealing with a specific situation that existed in Corinth. Now, there are universal principles in this book, but Paul is dealing with specific, unique issues that were in the Corinthian church. And so, his overriding principle, do you remember what that was at the end of chapter 6? What did he say we are to do? Oh, come on, we've talked about this three weeks. Everybody should know this together. Let's say it together. What's the overriding principle? Glorify God. Everything in the first six chapters that he's giving them instructions on would lead them to glorify God. The questions that he's answering for them, the answers that he's giving them are designed so that they would glorify God. So say that again. I don't want us to miss this point. What are we all to do? Glorify God. Okay. I hope you've got it. We're going to come back to this again and again, that it's our purpose to glorify God. So as Paul is going on, the first thing that I want you to see in the passage is Paul's rule. The rule. He gives it to us very clearly here in verse 17. Right at the end of the verse, look at what it says. This is my rule in all the churches. You got that? Paul says this applies not only to Corinth, this applies to all of the churches, and this is the rule that I'm giving you. Well, what's the rule, you may say? Well, look at what verse 17 says. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. So the rule is stay in the position to which God has called you. Paul is going to repeat it in verse 20. Look down to verse 20. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Verse 24. He repeats it a third time in this short amount of verses. There he says, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. This is the rule, Paul says. God has called you. God has called you and placed you where you are, in the position you are in. There remain where God has called you. See, this lack of contentment goes all the way back to the beginning. And it always causes a problem. In the very beginning, the highest creature that God had created, who was it? Who's the highest created being that God made? Satan. Lucifer, as he was known. He was the anointed cherub. Uh, later this year, we're going to do a whole series on Satan. From his beginning to his end and everything in between. 
But Lucifer was created by God as the highest created being. There are many who believe, and, and I agree with this, that Lucifer was the chief worship leader in all of heaven. And we wonder why we have problems with music and things in the church. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said that he believed that Lucifer fell from heaven and landed in the choir loft. <laughs> so through the years, there have been all kinds of battles and problems over music. And I think a lot of it goes back to who was the first music director he was the one who rebelled against God. God created Lucifer as the highest of all his creation. Yet was Lucifer content with that position? No. The most beautiful creature that God ever created. Placed him in the perfect environment. But one day Satan decided this isn't good enough for me. I want the position that God has. I want to replace God. And pride entered his heart and he sinned. A lack of contentment from the very beginning. A lack of contentment came into play in the Garden of Eden. Remember how the serpent, how Satan, deceived Eve. Has God told you you can't eat of any tree in the garden? Well, no, only this one tree. You know why God's not letting you eat of that one tree? Because when you eat of that tree, you will be like God. God is keeping something from you. You see the root of the sin there? Because in the day they ate of that tree, they died spiritually and they began to die physically. All as a result of a lack of contentment to where God had placed them. So the rule is, God has assigned your life to you. Live the life God has given to you. Now let's look at the applications of this. First of all, there's the application, and the rest of the marriage is going, or the rest of the message is going to be on the applications that come from Paul about this principle. All right. First of all, the application in marriage. Now, the first 16 verses, which we covered last week, lay out, Paul is just going right on from that, in which he says, let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. Remember what we learned last week? Paul said marriage is good. Marriage is good. Sex in marriage is good. Incidentally, I've had a number of men come to me this week and say, Butch, could you preach that message again next week so that you... <laughs> Within the confines of marriage, I'm going to say it again, 
Husbands and wife have as much sex as you want to have. As long as it's mutually consensual between the two of you, go for it. That's what God has designed within the realm of marriage. Marriage is good. Being single is good. God has given some the gift of singleness. And I've had several singles come to me this week. Thank you, Butch, for telling the congregation to quit trying to fix us up with somebody. (laughs) Everybody has someone for us. We are happy being single. And if we're happy being single, tell the congregation to leave us alone. Being married is good. Being single is good. If you are married, stay married. Stay married. If it's at all possible for you to stay married, that's what God wants you to do. Remember, he talked about, well, what what happens when we have an unbeliever and a believer? If the unbeliever is willing to stay within the marriage, then stay with the unbeliever. Because you are setting him apart or setting her apart. And you're setting your children apart. So as, as long as he's, the, the marriage is a place that is a place of peace, because that's God's design for marriage, As long as there is peace there, if the unbeliever wants to stay with you, stay with him. But if the unbeliever chooses to go, then you're out of your bondage in those situations. You are free to remarry. If you get divorced for the wrong reasons, and if it's possible for your first marriage to be put back together, then that's what you need to seek or else you need to live single the rest of your life. These are hard sayings, but Paul is saying as it relates to marriage, as it relates to singleness, remain in the situation in which God has called you. And that's the whole key. What has God called you to do? Remain in that. So it applies throughout marriage and singleness. You know, one man who learned that message the hard way was John Wesley. Now, many of you know that John Wesley was one of the most famous evangelists of years ago. He had a ministry through Great Britain and through the United States And he was largely responsible for the establishment of the Methodist Church. What many people do not know is John Wesley did not get married until he was 48 years old. He had never been married before. And he was getting married to a woman named Mary who was the widow of a prominent London merchant. She had known John and his brother Charles for about two years. When Charles heard that John was going to get married to 
Mary. He was appalled. He couldn't believe it. Mary was known for being a vulgar woman and someone who was prone to hysteria. But John married her when he was 48 years old. And soon the problems that others saw became apparent in the marriage. John, because of his ministry, traveled a great deal. Mary didn't like to travel, so she refused to go with him, and she stayed alone. John showed little interest in any of the concerns about his house. This infuriated Mary. Mary really did not have a heart to serve the Lord, and John was burning with a passion to serve the Lord and to preach the Gospels to others. If John, in his capacity as someone who was a caring pastor, wrote a letter to a widow to try to show her some sympathy, Mary became enraged with jealousy. And in response to that, she would write scandalous letters to the newspapers lying about John Wesley's character. Now imagine that. The front page of the paper. Local pastor's wife blasts her husband. That's what was going on. Between the two of them, they had episodes of violence, and finally, after 20 years of marriage, John just didn't care anymore, and so he never came home. Mary died, and John wasn't informed of her death until three days after she was buried. John learned that hard lesson that he should have stayed contented in his singleness. Whatever state the Lord has called you, remain in that. That relates to marriage and singleness. Secondly, Paul says it relates to circumcision, which was a big problem there in the church. Now, let me say to you, this is not an easy subject to talk about, circumcision. But what the Apostle Paul says, if you are circumcised, Don't seek to become uncircumcised. Now, I have to confess to you, uh, as I was studying this, I thought, what in the world are you talking about, Paul? But there were surgeries, and I'm not going to go into detail here whatsoever here. Kids, if you have questions, ask your parents when you get home today. (laughs) This is not ask the pastor time on this question. I know I said questions are welcome and all questions are welcome. But kids, this one you take to your parents. Okay. But they they had surgical procedures to try to undo circumcision. And the reason the Jewish men would want their circumcision undone is because In those days when they would go into the public places where they would take baths, they would go in there naked, they would see one another, and the Greeks, the Gentiles, despised the Jewish people and wouldn't do business with them. 
if they knew that they were circumcised. So these guys are trying to hide the fact that they were circumcised and there was surgeries that they could do. But Paul says, if you're circumcised, and circumcision was a sign of God's covenant with the Jewish nation, he says, if you're circumcised, don't try to be uncircumcised. And if you're not circumcised, don't get circumcised. See, you had a problem in that day where the Judaizers were going around and they were saying that you can't be a Christian, you can't be a male Christian and not be circumcised. Now Paul comes with a message that I'm sure he got a lot of amens on when he preached it, which said, if you have not been circumcised, you don't need to become circumcised. Because circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But the principle, the rule that he's giving is what? The state that you find yourself in, be content because that is where God has called you. Now on this issue of circumcision, I want to bring it over today and to talk to those of you here who do not know Christ as Lord and Savior. Because just as the Judaizers were saying, you must do this in order to be saved, we have people today that will add to the gospel of Christ other things and say, you must do this in order to be saved. Some will say, you must be baptized in order to be saved. Now, I believe that baptism is important. I believe that every believer in Christ should be baptized because that's the command of Christ. And here at the end of the month, we're going to have as a part of our service, a baptismal service. And I would say to any of you here who are saved but have not been baptized, you need to get baptized. Not so that you can be saved. You're saved by putting your faith and trust in Jesus and in him alone. But baptism is a picture of you getting saved. But if you add baptism to the grace of God, baptism becomes a work and salvation is no longer of grace and grace alone. So baptism is important, but it's not essential for salvation. So we don't end it. Some would tell you, you have to be baptized in order to be saved. Some will tell you that you must take part in certain sacraments of the church in order to be saved. First of all, we don't have sacraments. We have ordinances, commands that we obey. Sacraments are a means of obtaining grace. We do not obtain grace through sacraments. We obtain grace through what? Just merely accepting the free gift of God. So, don't let anyone impose upon you you must do this or do that. No, what we must do is obey the commands of God. And that's what God has called us to do. The next point of application, and this is the hardest that we're going to talk about this morning, is the application in slavery. In slavery. Because Paul is going to talk about 
this issue. And he's going to talk about it in ways that some will think today is politically incorrect. So I'm going to try to be clear on what the Bible has to say on this whole subject of slavery. First of all, this is just not an ancient problem. It is estimated today that in our world, 49.6 million people around the world live in slavery of one kind or another. Now those who have studied this have talked about there are six different types of slavery that exist in our world today. There's what's called domestic servitude. That's where someone is working in a private home where they are coerced into serving and they are either legally or fraudulently convinced that they have no option to leave, that they are bound and they cannot leave what they're doing. There is forced labor, where human beings are forced to work under the threat of violence, and they are not paid at all. They are treated as property, and they are exploited to create a product for commercial sale. Then we have the issue of child labor. This is any enslavement, whether forced domestic servitude, bonded labor, or sex trafficking of a child. Then we have bonded labor. That this is where people are compelled to work in order to repay a debt that they will never be able to repay underneath the conditions and the pay that they are receiving. Sometimes they are assuming the debt of a parent or another relative, but they are never going to be paid enough that they will ever be able to leave that job so they are treated as slaves. Then we have around the world forced marriages. It's where women and children are forced to marry someone else without their consent and against their will. Sometimes their parents are selling them off into a marriage. And then we have sex trafficking where women, men, or children are forced into the commercial sex industry and held against their will by force, fraud, and coercion. All of this exists in our world today. Okay? So slavery is just not an ancient problem. It's a modern problem as well. So what does Paul say about this? Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Well, wherever you find yourself, and we're going to talk, you're going to say, Butch, really? Someone's being sex trafficked, things like that. You're telling them to remain in that. No, that's not what I'm saying, and that's what, not what Paul is saying. And we'll cover that in a minute. But Paul is dealing with a situation where slaves were very made up a large portion of the population. Uh, it is guessed that there were over 100 million slaves in the Roman Empire in the first century. 
In many cities, there were more slaves than there were free people. Just simple math would lead us to know that as the gospel went forth, there would be large numbers of slaves coming to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And what are they to do? Paul says, each one should remain in the condition in which he is called. Verse 20. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. In other words, Paul says, if you were a slave, your driving force of every single hour and every day should not be, how can I get my freedom? How can I get my freedom? How can I get my freedom? What he says then, but if you can gain your freedom... Avail yourself of the opportunity. If there's an opportunity for you to be free, you go for it. Paul's telling them to do it if they have the opportunity. But he also realizes in the world in which he is writing, the opportunities for people to become free from their slavery would be very few indeed. So Paul is saying to them, You need to, in the position you are in, serve the Lord. Verse 22, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. He's saying, really, he's addressing the slaves. He's saying, you know what, they may enslave you here on earth, but you are really spiritually a free man. They can't, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he has set you free free. You are free. And then he says, likewise, who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. And to you free men, you need to understand something. You are really a slave to Jesus. So as Christians, what we need to realize is every one of us in Christ is free, right? We are all free in Christ. He has called us to that freedom. But also in Christ, all of us that know Jesus as Savior, we are to be slaves to Christ. We're to take his burden upon. We're all slaves to something or someone. Jesus says we're to take his yoke upon us. Why? Because his yoke is easy and it is light. Now, this does not apply where Paul says, remain where you are in that condition, where you are put into a a place where you are being abused, where you've put into a place where you are being taken advantage of sexually. Those all violate the law of God. And see, the Bible in dealing with slavery recognizes, first of all, that slavery is not God's plan. I don't want anybody going out of here this morning and saying, hey, Pastor Butch said if you're a slave, just be content and don't worry anything about it whatsoever. And that Pastor Butch, no, what we're saying is that what the gospel is telling us, if you are a slave and you are in a situation where you cannot be freed, you can still serve the Lord in that condition. The the seeds of emancipation from slavery come completely from the Bible. God created all men in his image. 
All individuals have intrinsic value just because they are created in the image of God and one man should not enslave another. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament regulated slavery. It had rules that people could not abuse their slaves. And the people of Israel were held to a high accountability on that. And in the New Testament, in the book of Philemon, we have the picture of what our response should be. There was a runaway slave that Paul sends back to Philemon, but he tells Philemon, accept him as your brother, not as a slave. So I know this is hard when it comes, because people say, why doesn't the Bible just come outright and condemn slavery and speak outright totally against it? Well, the Bible never speaks in favor of slavery. But the gospel of Jesus Christ was the focal point of the church and taking that throughout the world. And you know what happens wherever the gospel goes? Freedom follows. And slavery ends as we put into practice the things of Christ. So let me wrap this up for us this morning quickly. All right. What is to be our focus? What are we all to be about? Okay, good. Glorify God. Whatever position you are in, you can glorify God and glorify him. That's what God has called us to do. We need to be content where God has placed us. God is more concerned about how you act in your current job than he is concerned about what your next job may be. Serve him where you are. Accept the calling that God has placed upon your life and faithfully serve him. And if you don't know Christ as Savior, come to him, because in him is complete freedom. Father, we thank you for your word, and Father, we pray that even as we we deal with difficult issues and passages in your word, we pray, Father, that you would help us to rightly divide your word. And I pray, Father, that you would help each of us to examine where we are, where you've placed us, what you've given to us to do. And help us to do it to your glory. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.